Hey, ladies and gentlemen, first off, let me say Happy New Year's, and I wish everyone great health and financial prosperity in this upcoming year. Uh, to start the new year off, I want to deal with a topic that affects a lot of people around the world, that being mental health. Mental health is a major component in being ultimately free. It's one of those topics that I know we're going to visit frequently because I believe more people should be privy to this uh, type of information. In this podcast, my wife and I are having a conversation with a certified high school counselor and mental health therapist by the name of Philip Wells. So without further ado, let's go ahead and drop that intro. Welcome to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast. Ultimate Freedom Podcast. Uncensored, unrestricted. He talks about whatever, whenever, and however he wants. Your host, Jamare Clarington. Boast Bakuma, baby. Let's begin. All right, Philip, welcome to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast. Man, I'm glad to have you on. Me and my wife are going to be having this great conversation with you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, where do you study, all that good stuff? Definitely, definitely. And I appreciate you bringing me on. So my name is Philip Wells. I'm from Columbia, South Carolina. And I came down here about two years ago to pursue my dreams of being a counselor. And in terms of school, I went to a small liberal arts school called Winthrop University. That's in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And then I got my master's degree from Clemson University. So if you follow college football, you probably know of Clemson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of like the route I decided to go to. Um, it was really inspired by a lot of positive role models that I had in my life. They were all about trying to get me to get to that next level, whether it was professionally, personally, or even in my academics. So I decided to pursue my dream of being a similar light in someone else's life, such as being a school counselor, which is what I do now, but also I'm a therapist. And it just comes from always having a consistent black male role model. And I realized that that's very rare to have nowadays. Mm -hmm. So I decided to to go that route because I knew it was very needed, especially for the youth nowadays. So now I live in Miami, living a dream. I have my private practice called the Players Coach LLC. And you can find it by Googling theplayerscoach.net. And you can find me on Instagram at theplayerscoachllc. Great, great. And what is one of the reasons why, because that's a very interesting name. Um, why did you come up with the, the Players Coach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way I relate to the world and to a lot of things is through sports. For me, that's what got me through high school. And later on, I would later find out that it was a way for me to cope with a lot of the stress or the pressures that I was dealing with as a young man. Mm-hmm. And when you think of all the famous athletes like Tim Duncan, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, one thing about them is they all had great coaches in their lives. Mm-hmm. They had someone that's going to get them to that next level. And I figured I can do that same thing for other people. And if you know anything about sports, you have coaches and then you have player coaches. And those player coaches are those guys or those coaches, they can get the most out of their players. They're very, they're very loyal to their players. They're the type of coach going to get the guys riled up. They're going to get them pumped for the game and they'll get them to perform at their highest level. So that's why I decided to call myself the players coach. Because at the end of the day, just like an athlete goes to a coach to get physically fit, my clients come to me to become mentally fit. Mm. That's kind of the, 
the role that I take in their lives into my clients' lives. That's great, man. That's great. Cause definitely operating as a team. Um, but I tell, I tell a lot of people that, you know, therapy is needed for everyone. You need yes. someone to talk to, you need someone to, you know, you know, give you good advice. Um, and a lot of people don't have that, especially in, in the, the athletic realm. That's real big. You know, having that coach, as you alluded to, a lot of great athletes, a lot of athletes just in general have that coach that they can, that they can talk to I and mean, help them with a lot of family issues, personal issues, things of that nature. Exactly. One of the things that we were talking about the other day when we were on the phone, you brought up one of the things that I'm very interested in as far as how finances impact mental health. Can you elaborate on that for a little yeah. bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And believe it or not, I'm going to try to hit the highlights because there's so much that goes into how your finances can impact your mental health. So to go um, in one specific realm, when you think about how stressful paying for something as like a, a medical bill. So if you don't know, one of the, le the leading causes to homelessness or poverty or debt is through medical bills. And that's why it's such a hot topic every year when the president, or not every year, every four years when the presidential elections come around. It's all about, hey, how are you going to get medical care to those who need it? Because it's such a big issue, um, especially in black and brown and minority communities. So when you think about the stress that people have when, let's say, they have to decide on whether to take their kid to the dentist or take them to the doctor or whatever it is versus having to keep the lights on or having to pay the rent or putting food on the table. You know, that's a, that's a stress that a lot of people may encounter because they don't have the financial ability to choose between either or, or to, or to choose both. Mm -hmm. So when you think about how important it is to have proper medical care and even to go even further with people that do have jobs and have, uh, um, let's say, dependents, as you call it, for every dependent that you put on your insurance policy, it, it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money, especially if you work as a teacher. Um, so when you start to think about little things like that, your finances can definitely impact your mental health, but also your physical health because it can, it can alter whether or not you decide to go to a doctor or how often you do go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. It's all about that preventative care. So if you don't have the finances to be on the preventative side, then you end up on the, the reactive side. And then the stress that comes with all that can be very deteriorating. So that's, that's kind of like how finances can impact your mental health, but also your physical health as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a plenty more examples. Well, I had a question. You mentioned that the finances impact mental health. How do you see this trickling down and impacting the kids that live in these homes? Outside of maybe they're not getting the preventive care, like you said, in some of those instances, but I'm just thinking about that mindset and then some of those habits. How does that begin to impact the kids in those homes? Yeah, yeah. So for everyone that's listening, I want them to Google this. Google Manslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And basically the hierarchy of needs go from on the basic level of the pyramid, similar to a food pyramid, you have things like safety, shelter, food, clothes, water. And then once you accomplish all those things, mm -hmm. as, you, as, as you move up the levels, you begin to be able to attain 
things like love or uh, self-esteem, confidence. Mm-hmm. And at the very top of the pyramid is self-actualization, basically meaning your ability to reach your full potential. So when you think about those basic needs and, you know, working in, working in the education system, if students aren't able to hit or to get those basic needs such as food, clothes, shelter, it makes it very hard for them to learn in the school setting. So for a lot of them, if they don't have that, those uh, financial securities, then it makes it hard for them to focus on things that, you know, a lot of people take for granted, such as education. And that in itself is, is a scratcher in itself. You know, imagine coming from a place where, you know, you don't have food or, you know, your lights are cut off or you don't have a laptop to do your homework. So to do things like USA Test Prep, Achieve 3000. Right. So now you got to go to the library or you got to try to squeeze it in before school, after school. And that in itself can be a stressor for a lot of kids mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the, the steps that one that teachers can take, um, mm-hmm. parents can take to ensure that their kids' needs are being met? Speak on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think one thing that teachers, counselors, principals can do is try to bring in outside resources or create partnerships between different organizations within the community to come in and uh, sponsor the school, provide um, different resources. So to kind of give you an example, I know um, at the school that we work at, we have somewhat of of a relationship with Comcast, where Comcast comes in and they may help train the students or give the students information about how they how to get a job straight out of high school versus having to go to college if they can't afford it or you know partnering with Broward College getting them to come in and sit in with the students or inform the students of different programs that they offer at their campus that's not only offered to the college students but also offered to the high school students as well and also I think some of the resources that kind of go unnoticed is our local uh resources such as like the library nowadays students don't really go to the library as much you know it's it's something that they probably see you know older people probably go to or or whatever the case it may be and i just found this out but you can actually get free tutoring through the library through your phone or through your through your laptop so virtually wow. a lot of students they don't know that and all you need is a library card mm-hmm. and that's free mm-hmm. so it's all about trying to introduce yeah. the, the different organizations out there. And then I forgot to mention things like Boys and Girls Club or the YMCA, uh, whatever the case it may be. I think it's more so about bringing in all those resources and then educating the parents about these free resources. So I think that's kind of how you go around like the financial barrier for a lot of students. But, uh, but on, the, on the other hand, the toughest part is trying to get parents or students to show up to things like the PTAs or the the night the night school events, whatever it is, because a lot of them are probably out working or they're out what what whatever it is. So I think that's a barrier in itself as well, trying to get more parents, students out to the schools to hear about these resources, because a lot of times the ones that show up are the ones that don't really need it. Mm-hmm. 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 So I've had um, situations where there 
I've had a student say, my parent is not mentally healthy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and like, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, what do you say? What do you say when, you know, they bear the brunt of whatever chaos that's bringing to their lives because they, they're watching their parent go through modes of depression or sometimes um, suicide thoughts or attempts, um, cases like that, and just wondering how do I navigate that because I'm living in a home that's mostly controlled by that parent. That's the environment I go home to. Mm. What do you tell them? Like, what can you say? What do you offer to mm-hmm. assist them on navigating situations like that? Yeah, yeah. And you know, that's a difficult one, Mm -hmm. mainly because a lot of people still see it as taboo. So like, Mm. seeing mental health being being a thing that only crazy people do, or what what society deems as crazy. Mm -hmm. They feel like, or they see that it's, it's a sign of weakness, but also, like I said, it's something that only crazy people do, when it's not really the case. So what I, what I think needs to, to happen, specifically with that kid, if they feel like they're in danger or their parents are in danger, so let's say they're, they feel like at that point in time, their parent is on the fence or they're about to attempt suicide, one thing that they can definitely do is call either 911 or call the sheriff's department or here in South Florida, specifically in Broward County, you can call the yes team for someone that's under 18 or you can call the mobile crisis unit for people that are over 18 mm-hmm. and once you call them they come out to the house and they do an assessment on the parent the child whoever it is and they deem that they're at a risk then they'll um, take them over to the hospital to get evaluated now that's something that's in Broward county it's 24 hours seven days a week and it's a resource that a lot of people even in the schools a lot of people use now let's say they're not quite at that point what could happen what i find to be i would say easier well not not necessarily easier but benefit what's the word i'm trying to use what i'm trying to say is the thing that kind of works the best is is if the parents sit down and they talk to let's say another adult and then they hear from another adult because if they hear from a there's their, their child, they probably think, oh, like, what do they know? They're just my kid, right. you know? So I've had conversations with parents, with students about them seeing a therapist about or about their family seeing a family therapist. And I always try to ease into that conversation by first using empathy. Empathy is kind of the great defense or what I'm trying to say, it, it lowers their defenses. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great, what's the word I'm trying to use? There's a, there's a verb I'm trying to use. It, like it's it, a great vehicle for getting them to be open to yeah. the suggestion yeah. of, you know, seeing a family therapist. It kind of lowers their defense mechanisms. Yeah. It, it lowers their defenses. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say. It, it lowers their defenses. <laughs> And then it makes that conversation a little bit more easier to be had versus if I come straight in there and say, hey, I think you guys need to see a therapist <laughs> right off the bat. They, they'd probably be like, oh, what do you know? What, what, mm-hmm. what are you trying yeah. to say? Yeah. So I think and even that is where like having a counselor or a therapist 
to have that conversation with the parent is it it comes in handy so using empathy in those types of situations definitely help that's great man um what i had a second point so okay um you mentioned um in one of your points about uh self-care that sometimes they get neglected do you want to talk a little bit about that and how that's connected to finances yeah 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 definitely definitely so um, I'm real big on examples, so I'll use an example here. Let's say you don't have a salary job. Let's say your job is hourly. So let's say you work 35 hours a week, you know, and you're getting paid, let's say, $20 an hour, $15 an hour, whatever it is, and you're living paycheck to paycheck. When you're stuck in that cycle, living paycheck to paycheck, and you, you're working hourly, you can't necessarily afford to take off for a vacation you can't necessarily take off for what we call a self-care day which is a new concept i think that a lot of people need to start to incorporate um, into their workplace you don't need to just take off work because you're sick or you have a doctor's appointment or you have a dentist appointment you can actually take off because you need a self-care day you need a mental break we call, so a day off. we call it uh, we <laughs> call it mental health days <laughs> a mental health day <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly so I think that's a concept that we need to start introducing, especially in the corporate world, mm. especially in the corporate world. Um, I think a lot of them could definitely benefit from taking a day off because you'd be surprised when you come back, mm. you actually be more productive than if you didn't take that day off because now you have a fresh mind, you're, you're ready to go. So mm. when I think about things like that, things like not being able to take off, not being able to indulge in self-care, because of your finances, I, I see it as a, a unfortunately a, a cycle that a lot of people get trapped in. Mm-hmm. Saying things like, oh, I can't take off or whatever the case it may be, or I can't afford to, let's be frank, let's I can't afford to eat healthy, which is mm-hmm. in itself a little bit of a of a myth. You can mm-hmm. eat a little healthy or healthier mm-hmm. without breaking the bank. And that could be a form of self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, treating yourself to something like that. Or let's say getting a, a gym membership. So for a lot of people working out is a form of self-care. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you may not be able to afford a gym membership, which costs $25 a month. Cause that $25 a month has to go to, let's say groceries or the light bill or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. So that your, your finance can definitely take a toll on how much self-care you can do are free things that you can do, but there's definitely a lot more things you can do if you can afford it. And and I would say just coming from the financial sector and whenever I'm dealing with people, helping them, you know, purchase a home or getting ready to purchase a home. One of the things that I like to do is first help that client develop a budget Mm -hmm. and creating that budget for a lot of people that come from a lower socioeconomic um, demographic, it's scary because now they're seeing exactly where their money is going and seeing exactly how much money they do not have. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times you'll find your, your vacation, uh, you find your vacation in your coffee, right? Um, so people are drinking coffee every day, going to Dunkin' Donuts every day or Starbucks every day, you know, five times a week by the end of the year, if you spent $1,300 on, on coffee, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. your gym membership, 
um, there's your vacation. Exactly. And so I think if more people create their budget, they'll find it easier to manage their, their income, manage their expenses. And at the end of the day, help them with their mental health. Because if you have excessive credit card debt, excessive student loan debt, and you don't have a guide on how you're going to get out of that situation, it just is going to be chaotic for you every single day. And we know what credit card debt does. It compounds itself every single month. And we are, we're living in a debt society right now. And, you know, that's why I push like, hey, create a budget first. And then as we, we spoke about in an earlier conversation is, you know, not just saving your money. You have to save your money to invest in something. You have to make your money work for it, uh, work for you. Because as you alluded to working that if you're not on a salary job and you're working, you know, um, hourly or you living paycheck to paycheck, that cycle is not going to end if you do not do something about it. So we have to get people to understand the concept of money, understand the concept of trading your time for money or using your money to bring in more money. And I think those concepts are not often taught to people. And I know a lot of people that are depressed because they work, they live in paycheck to paycheck. And with, mm-hmm. uh, I was listening to your podcast. One thing you were saying on your podcast about social media, mm-hmm. um, people, you know, looking at social media, they, they get caught in this world of make-believe. Mm, and yes. Everybody's living this, this lavish life. And I'm going to tell you from, from experience, just dealing with people, helping people with credit repair, they're not living lavish. A lot of people using their credit cards and maxing it out to go on that vacation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then they come back and six months down the road, their credit's all messed up. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, now um, I remember I was talking to a young guy and he had an Impala. He was paying like six, seven hundred dollars for it because of his. A month? Yes, because his, oh. <laughs> his credit was bad when he got it. And I'm like, he asked me, <laughs> he's asking me, hey, if I if I give it back to him, <laughs> is it a, a repo? They're not taking it from me. Like, yeah, that's a voluntary repossession. Mm-hmm. So it's going to show up on your credit report the same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live up yeah. to your end of the contract. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I definitely understand just the whole the mental aspect of of finances, man. And I think that's without looking up, I'm I'm, I'm willing to, to say that's probably one of the main reasons why people are depressed in our society uh, yeah finances yeah yeah and and you know there's a statistic that that says one in five people suffer from a mental illness Mm. but yet minorities are 20 percent more likely to suffer from mental illness than the average person so i think that speaks to things like living in poverty Mm -hmm. or the things that 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 are happening in the courts, in, in the, in the jails, such as black men are, I believe the statistic is one in three is likely one in three black men will go to jail or one in four or something, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that stuff. It, it all is related. It's all related. So when you think about people living in poverty, people living in the ghettos, people living in the hoods, not to mention the things that go on in the hood, but just the stressors, the stressors of not being able to afford, you know, the basic needs such, and I already alluded to that stuff. That in itself is a stress, but then you start to think about 
the environment that they're living in. So when they say one in five people suffer from a mental illness and then black people or minorities are 20% more likely to suffer from that same mental illness, there's a reason and it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to say this while you're talking, we need to start looking at our mental health as an investment in itself. Mm-hmm. That's an investment that we need to start to put more dollars, more time, more effort into, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I think right now we're doing a bad job of putting our dollars in what we call liabilities. So when you talked about that Impala, the $600 Impala, well, hey, that could have been, especially if he has, a, if, if he goes to a place that has a copay. So talking about him going to see a therapist, let's say he needed to see a therapist, um, that $600, it probably could have took him throughout the whole year, you know, but instead he's putting that towards an Impala. You see what I'm saying? Or the idea that black people are spending or black people are buying the most Mercedes Benzes or or whatever the case may be versus putting those dollars into our mental health, but then also to the things like the property or the investments. Mm-hmm. So it's it goes hand in hand. You you gotta you gotta invest in those two things. Cause if you don't, then one would definitely bring down the other, that being mental health on finances or finances on mental health. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you said something earlier, especially with the, the eating and I, and I would, I would say this, <laughs> <laughs> I would say this in times where I'm like really, really working around the clock, especially if I'm working on several loans and then coming from education system and then working on a loan and at the branch and I may be at the branch about nine, 10 o'clock some nights um but when i do that those are the nights that i typically eat horrible Mm, and mm -hmm. when you're when you're working when you're working nine to five or when you like most people are and you're you're always on the road by the time you get home you're drained and and when you're drained and 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 you're thinking about all the things that you have to you know get accomplished the next day don't make the best decisions especially when it comes to your health they say most of the diseases and most of our sickness is preventative. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's one of the things that we need to begin to, you know, put into our budget. Like you said, it doesn't cost that much to eat healthy. Is mm-hmm. that, that is a myth. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say this, it does take a little more time. To- it does. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does. It does. Yeah. And I would even say this because this is something I'm trying to do because I eat horrible as well. At least when I do go out to fast food, I try to get the most healthiest thing on that fast food uh, list. So, you know, it, it may start off from like instead of getting the double cheeseburger, you know, getting the chicken sandwich. You know, like that's a little at least a little bit more healthier. Mm-hmm. Then hopefully you'll start to transition to like eating at places like Bole or getting a sub from like Publix or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. so, something, you know, it's still fast, but you know, it's, it's not, you know, taking a toll on your body. So. Yeah. yeah. I definitely want to do a podcast on, on, you know, foods that you eat on the go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Be more conscientious of those fast, healthier choices. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. That's more, true. More things. That's true. I had an assignment one time where the students, they had to define poverty. 
And this one student, it was so interesting because she was saying, you know, everything always well dressed, hair, nails, just always looking done up. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, you wouldn't be able to tell that we live in poverty because that's one thing that, you know, my mom makes sure we don't appear to be. Mm. She said, but I go home and there are no, it could, there are no lights sometimes. Mm. But I'm going to have this $300 hair. I'm going to mm-hmm. have my nails done. I'm going to have all of these things. And it just made, when she said that, it just made me think that poverty has a different look. Yeah. You know? And you can, you can miss it. You cannot see it because it appears to be that you have everything you need because it's dressed up. It, may, it goes back, I don't know, to the, the statement about the Impala, but I, I wonder what does that begin to communicate to this young person in terms of how do I navigate life? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's what we call affordable status, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. things that you can afford to make your status look a certain way. And I, th- I definitely think we, so like, the minority community, black and brown community, we, we probably suffer from that the most. And, you know, I think this even goes to, um, so like, you probably see this a lot. You have people who do the same thing, but with their home. So that's when you refer to people being house poor. So like they have the big house, but they don't have any furniture in there, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they can't afford the lights inside the house because they decided to go buy that, you know, that mansion versus, you know, a, 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 a simple house or a simpler house. You know, so I think that ties into, again, the, the social media, but also the idea that I have to present a facade that people are going to accept. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are people who do a good job of not worrying about things like that, such as J. Cole. I know like every now and again, you see him wearing, you know, like a busted pair of Jordans or, you know, Tyler, the creator. Um Oh, and I would even say this. So if I were talking to that young lady or if I were talking to your class, I would tell them, hey, I want you to Google Warren Buffett's house, you know, or Bill Gates's house and, and, and tell me what it looks like. And these guys are living in, in very like modest homes, I believe. Yet they're worth, you know, $60 billion, you know, or, or you know, it's like little things like that. Like what are the, the wealthy of the wealthiest people doing with their money? And they're not putting it into like those liabilities, such as the clothes, the shoes, the cars. And unfortunately, I don't think there are enough people that they can relate to that are doing things like the Warren Buffett's of the world or the Bill Gates of the world. I even saw a picture on Instagram where I think Bill Gates was standing in line at a McDonald's, like ordering coffee. And like (laughs) there was no crowd around him. He just looked like a, a regular guy, you know, and I'm pretty sure he just hopped into a regular car and he sped off and like, that was it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something that we need to be more cognizant of, but also I know for me and I'll encourage, you know, that family or anybody else that gets caught up into that to ask themselves, what, what are their end goal? What's your end goal? And what do I mean by that is, you know, what do you want your life to look like? in 10, 20, 30 years. So I know for me, I want to be what you call partially retired by let's say age 40, 45, whatever it is. And the way for me to do that is through property, through investments, um, ETFs, things like that. So if I know that's my end goal, I know I have to make small daily sacrifices such as not getting the iPhone 11, 
you know, mm-hmm. or not getting the, the AirPods or the Jordans, which that is my one weakness. Um, but, you know, it, to a degree, you know, you, 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 you got to treat yourself. And that, and that kind of goes to, again with the self-care. So, like, even having enough money to kind of budget for those luxury items, you know, when I do want them, you know, okay, that's, that's doable. But I know for now I have to make small sacrifices here and there in order to be financially free, which is what everyone's goal should be. But if you keep taking on these liabilities, it's going to push you back further and further. And then it's going to chain you to that nine to five or to that salary or, or to that hourly job that you have, because now you have to pay off the iPhone 11 with the AirPods, with the Impala, with that, uh, you know, that, that, that house that you can't afford. So now you're bound and you can't really take time off to really care for yourself or to do other things or to venture out. So a lot of people get caught up in that, that cycle. So. Yeah. And I would agree. I tell people, I, I don't mind if you, if you spend your money, I like nice things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but at the same time, she knows that I won't buy it if I can't afford it. And I tell people this, just because you can purchase something doesn't mean that you can afford it. Exactly. Um, you look back at that, that item that you purchased three months down the road and regret purchasing it because it's now costing you money and that mm-hmm. you can't now afford, or you're looking at, man, I, I could have purchased this instead of this, then mm-hmm. you can afford it from the very beginning. So as long as you put within your budget, like, okay, if you like Jordan's, great then mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to set $10 aside or $20 aside every month because this is what I want. So and, and by the sixth month, I can buy the latest Jordan or mm-hmm. the latest phone. Mm-hmm. I tell people, my students say, well, why don't you have the latest what, what iPhone around 11? Um, 11, 11 XR, so you can't right? even keep track. You can't even keep yeah. track. <laughs> and I tell them, I said, I, I, I went, I, I love technology. I love, love nice things. I said, I went there, I held it. And I was like, mm-hmm, whatever. <laughs> you know, I just don't want yeah. it. Oh, I said I'll wait. And I think I would think the the beginning of helping people with their mental health is getting their finances in order, mm-hmm. either talking to a mental health therapist or talking to a financial therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Put some things in perspective. And because like you said, those mental health days are extremely important. Getting away from everyone is, is very important. Just to have that moment to yourself where you can say, hmm, and you can recharge that battery. I think more, I, I wish more companies in the corporate world did that. Allowed, yeah. hey, we're going to allow you, you got sick leave and you got mental health days. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, Agreed. That's another thing we were talking about. Uh, oh, that's the last. That's the last one. Last point you were making. Um, you said scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, having scarcity a scarcity mindset, mindset versus uh, mm-hmm. the abundant mindset. I thought that yeah. was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Elaborate on that for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So, <clears throat> the scarcity mindset is something that um, you know can be developed over a long period of time, let's say from birth, let's say you've always lived in poverty. So the way you view a dollar, you view it as something sacred, something that you need to hold on to. So as a result, you, you're not going to spend that money 
and some people may see that as a strength, you know, and I, and I thought so too. So again, very recently I came across the need or the importance of having an abundance mindset. Cause I had a very much a scarcity mindset. So here's an example. <clears throat> if you grow up in poverty and that's all, you know, and you come across, let's say a thousand dollars, right? Chances are you're going to hold on to that thousand dollars for dear life. Right. But if you have a mindset of abundance, one thing you may think of doing with that thousand dollars is putting it into ETF, right? Or investing it in a basket of stocks. Um, or let's say you are, you're in business. So let's say you're a therapist like myself. And let's say you come across a thousand dollars. You know, you may take that thousand dollars and instead of holding on to it, because again, that's that scarcity mindset. I can't spend it. I got to hold on to it because I don't know when's the next time I have a thousand dollars. Then I'm not going to use that money to put into marketing or use that money to rent a space to run my business. Or I'm not going to use that money to develop a website because mm. all these things are going to eventually bring in more money than that original thousand dollars. And that kind of goes with that idea of having a mindset of abundance. Mm. So the mindset of abundance. It's just that, the, the idea that I'm working as if I already, ha I already have money, um, my basic needs are covered, and, you know, everything, everything's going to be okay. Like, I, I have a plenty to give. You know, mm -hmm. I, come from a, I come from a giving mindset. So when it comes across, or when I come across whether it's money or doing things for other people, I have no problem doing it for free because at this point in time, I know that it may not bring me money, but it may connect me to the right people that's going to eventually bring me money down the line, mm -hmm. you know? But I think it goes, I think a better point goes to that idea of investing. And, and I think that's something that, again, a lot of communities, but especially the minority community, we don't do as, as well. But you see a lot of people come from other countries who come and they buy up a lot of property in South Florida, and you alluded to this in a conversation that we had earlier. If you look at how, um, you know, the Jews are, are coming there, they're buying up a lot of property and they're, they're helping other members of their family to develop, you know, portfolios or whatever the case may be. It's because they're, they're operating from this mindset of abundance. They, they may put down money on an item knowing that at that point in time, they're not going to see a return, but they trust, the fact that later down the line, in the long run, they're going to start to see some returns and that's going to lead me to that financial freedom. Mm -hmm. So to, to give you another idea, let's say I have, I don't know, $10,000 to put down on a condo. Okay. I put that money down and now I have a condo that's costing me $900 a month for mortgage, but I'm lucky enough to rent it out for $1,200. So I have a profit of $300. Now I could do one or two things with that $300. I can put that $300 in a high saving interest account such as Ally, right? Or, you know, I could take that $300 and now I can afford to pay off, you know, a liability, a liability such as a Mercedes, you know? And, and that's, that's probably what some people do. Like they decide, okay, um, this is where I want to be at. I have enough money to do this, or this is my end goal to have a Mercedes. And now I can pay it off without even worrying about it because my tenants are paying it off along with my property. But you can only get to that point once you have that mindset 
of abundance. So if you have that mindset of scarcity, you, you're going to, you're going to choke that dollar to death. <laughs> literally, literally. So if you had $2,000, but let's say someone had $2,000 back in 2008, that $2,000 is still $2,000. Right. If you went took that $2,000 back in 2008 and put it in a, in an ETF, that $2,000 probably would have been worth $4,000 now, you know, mm-hmm. but you got to have that mindset of abundance to do things like that or to even understand that concept. And then that is going to alleviate that stress of not being able to, who knows, like pay for, pay for bills or, or to take days off from work. Definitely. And that $2,000 isn't going to buy the same things that would have bought in 2008. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Uh, I definitely, you know, one of the things that you were saying is, and I think it all stems from, you know, when you have that scarcity mindset, you definitely have to, you know, people have a fear of letting go. All right. Um, mm-hmm. As I said, once you understand money and the concept of money um, and currency, then you know you have to let go of money to make more money. Mm. But if you fear losing money, if you fear letting go money, you will never really make any money in your lifetime. Not the type of money that you want to make because the type of money that you want to make is going to require you taking risk. And I can tell people, um, I can tell people, you're going to lose money. Yes, it's a fact. (laughs) That's a fact. You're going to lose money when you invest. Whether you're investing in in stocks, um, you're definitely going to lose money. But Mm -hmm. over time, you learn. I tell people that every time I invested in a stock, if I lost money, you learn. You begin to learn yourself a little bit more. You learn your habits. You learn to separate your emotion from money. A lot of Mm -hmm. people get too emotional and tied up in money and Mm -hmm. in the long run it ended up up hurting you because you don't know how to let it go Mm -hmm. and in order to invest you have to separate that um when you make money when you lose money you just can't be so caught up in emotionally and i think that's the the reason why we're going to go through this this mental health because we're so caught up in in money when yeah, I don't care about money, but I know I need money, right? Yes, you know? yes. I, I don't, I'm not in love with it. I don't, but I know that I need it. And mm-hmm. it, it, and when you know that you need it, you have to figure out what do you want to purchase and buy with it. Because a lot of people say, "Oh, I want a lot of money. I want a lot of money." Okay, how mm-hmm. much is a lot of money? What do you want to do with the money? If I put you on an island with a million dollars and you couldn't spend it, would you want money? Exactly. Like, exactly. Would you really nope. want it? No, you wouldn't. So what do you really want? And once you begin to visualize those things that you want, then the money is going to come because you're going to take those necessary steps to get what you want. And money's going to come that way. Exactly. Exactly. And I would, even, I would even say, like, again, to your point, people aren't necessarily chasing money. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even the things that they can buy with money, but it's that feeling that they get once they purchase those things or they do those things. So the feeling of being more confident because you're driving in a Mercedes. Okay, mm. so you're looking to be more confident. It's not really the Mercedes. Mm. The Mercedes, literally, but also figuratively, the vehicle for you getting to that feeling of being more confident. 
people want to be able to visit Rome, Spain, which I do too. <laughs> but it's that idea of, of seeing something that they, they never saw before. It's that idea of adventure, that idea of being relaxed and not worried about work. Well, okay, you could probably do that if you go to the Keys, you know, or if you go to an area in South Florida that you've never been to, you know. I mean, def- I, I definitely think we all want those things just because we personally want those things but i think a lot of people are chasing that feeling that's attached to those things so what you can do is you can literally skip over purchasing that object and try to figure out how can you get that feeling you know that's right what if you are if you are a person that's you know just busy i'm going to work i'm nine to five and i never stop to really think about my mental health and they hear this podcast and they begin to wonder am i mentally healthy Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. How would they? How would a person know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think first it starts off by knowing who you are. So like that self awareness piece, mm-hmm. knowing like who you are naturally, and then by knowing who you are naturally, if you find yourself deviating from those norms, mm-hmm. then you can start to realize that okay, maybe something's a little bit off. So. Let's say you work a nine to five and let's say you work with kids and let's say, you know, you have a good rapport with your kids, but lately you, you've been snapping on your kids and you know that's not you or you've been really short with your kids. Then you can ask yourself like, hey, like what's going on? You know, maybe I'm not getting enough sleep at night or maybe I'm skipping breakfast or maybe it's the end of the year and I have a, an exam that I have to get. I have to give to my students. So my students have to take a state assessment and I know my evaluations are very highly attached highly attached to these to these uh, assessments so i may find myself getting a little bit more stressed than i normally normally am so i think it's all about knowing who you are naturally and then when you start to deviate from those norms even for myself i know when i'm stressed once my weight hits a, a certain number so like <laughs> normally uh, <laughs> normally uh I'm under 210. So, you know, I'm 6'4. I'm a tall guy, but weight wise, I'm normally under 210. So, if I ever hit 215, or uh, I, I never hit 220, but let's say, let's say I did hit 220, then I know that I'm not running and I know I'm not eating healthy and I know I'm probably out eating fast food. So, mm-hmm. I can do a little check in with myself like, hey, what's going on? Like, why am I at this unusual weight or why am I snapping at? people that I love or why do I find myself agitated I think at first you have to know who you are naturally and then you have to be mindful and that's that's a form of mindfulness just doing mm-hmm. mental check-ins mm-hmm. um, what, what is my body telling me what are my emotions telling me what are my thoughts telling me and how does that differ from who I am you remind me your um your response, my there was a moment I was at my leg was ticking so fast up under my desk. And every time somebody knocked on my door and every time my phone rung, I'm like, my leg is just ticking. And every time I heard Mrs. Clarington, Mrs. Clarington, I was just like, I felt the agitation, but I'm aware that I'm like, it's none of their fault, you know, so I don't want to release this this pent up annoyed and irritated energy on, you know, any of the students that I work with. So at lunchtime I said, I need a moment. Like I need a moment. I have to mm-hmm. pull back because I realized that my equilibrium is all off because things that shouldn't annoy me is annoying me. 
you know, every time that, you know, my phone rug, I'm like, oh my gosh. But I could just feel it building up in my body. So like at lunch, I just had to go in my closet and just, I just needed not to be bombarded by anyone. Just, I needed that space away from all of the students that I work with and speak to just to get myself together. So when you say that, like knowing yourself and being aware of when you feel off, Mm-hmm. Being able to say, you know, I got to I gotta check that. What is that and where is it coming from so that I can do something about what it's doing, mm-hmm. what it's doing to my body? Because if you don't, then you end up popping or blowing yeah. up. And, popping. and yeah, yeah, I say that because I say popping. popping. Let me say why I say popping. <laughs> I say popping because a lot of times um, <laughs> when I when I work with students and they get they're they're so full and I said, have you ever blown up a balloon? And they're like, yes. And I say, well, if you keep putting air in it and you're never having any type of release, what will it eventually do? And they say pop. And I said, it's not good when people pop. You know, when you pop, you know, you're losing it. You're going off and possibly hurting the people around you and whatever. So So my last question is this. What can people expect? Mr. Wells, I'm, I'm stressed. I've heard the podcast. I don't have money. I know I'm stressed about money. I'm stressed mm-hmm. about kids. Mm-hmm. I'm stressed about work. What can they expect and what should they do when they reach out to a therapist? How, do, how does the first session go? Or because people have anxiety about seeing people mm-hmm. that they don't know mm-hmm. and talking oh. about their problems. So I'm calling you. What can I expect? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first session, I always tell people, you know, I'm an open book. You know, I always ask them to tell them a little bit about myself, but I always start the conversation off by telling them a little bit about who I am to try to model uh, kind of like the expectations. And I tell them, you know, I'm not going to judge you. I tell them I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we're going to work together to try to strive for perfection or to strive to be mentally fit, as I put it earlier. And in the first session is is very similar to when you go to a doctor's office, you know? I'm going to ask you some very simple questions like, "Hey, when's the last time you seen a doctor?" Um, tell me about tell me about your family or who's your emergency contact? How many siblings do you have? What do you do in your free time? It's a very simple conversation. Hmm. We're not going to cut you open and do anything or, or, or analyze your brain, you know? It's, 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 it's nothing like that. It's just two people having a conversation. And, hmm. and that's what people should expect. And I always try to make myself very relatable, which is why I call myself the player's coach, because ideally I want to try to attract, ideally, black men. And I know a lot of black men, they can relate to things like sports, specifically basketball. But I try to make myself very presentable, very personable, very personal, personal as well. So it's, it's, it's a very light conversation during that first session. But if someone is listening to this podcast specifically because they're having anxiety about their finances, what I would do is I'll have them download a few apps that I use, such as Acorns. I'll talk to them a little bit, a little bit about Ally. I'll talk to them about how they can use their rewards card in a beneficial way. Some people are afraid to use credit cards, but credit cards can actually be, especially rewards cards, they can be very beneficial if you use it right. Yeah, and then as you alluded to earlier, definitely the the budgeting, knowing where their money is going, and then also um, th- th- there's something that I do, which kind of ties into like the self care piece. So every two weeks when I get paid, I have you know just forty dollars. 
going to a credit union, you know, a whole separate card. And the sole purpose of that card is for self-care. Mm-hmm. You know, like I take that 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 card and I may go to a very nice um, restaurant, you know, and I, and I may go by myself or I may use that card to go see a movie or um, I may actually use that card to, to pay off, you know, a flight to, let's say, Jamaica or Las Vegas or New Orleans. You know, I really think that we should start investing into our mental health by doing little things like that. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, like all those things are automated which I think is another concept or idea that people need to start getting into. The more automated you are with saving and investing, the easier it is to do. And then over time, you know, it's going to build and build and build and it's going to alleviate some of that stress, mm-hmm. especially if you have a scarcity mindset, because let's say you're living paycheck to paycheck and then you get told or you get a ticket. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> you're up the creek, man. You know, and that's that's a lot of people's worst fear. A lot, and that's something that everybody can relate to. Everybody's been told or got or gotten a ticket, mm-hmm. and it can be very, very uh, annoying, nerve-wracking, uh, furious, whatever you want to call it. So, if I, if I had someone, you know, or someone is listening to this podcast, I definitely say, don't be afraid to spend money to see a therapist now obviously you know you want to do your research but just like you go to a doctor you have to pay a copay you can go see a therapist and pay a copay so your copay may be 25 dollars it may be 40 dollars whatever it is but you need to trust that this is an investment hmm. and, and some and again if you, if you have that scarcity mindset the idea of investing in someone to talk to you is is something that some people can't even fathom they can't even comprehend because they know they got to use that money for other things, but you should trust that I'm going to get you to a point that you're going to be able to live stress-free or anxiety-free, which is ultimately your goal, you know? So again, skipping whatever it is and trying to get to that, that feeling that you want, that feeling that you want at the end of the day is to be calm, to be stress-free. And unfortunately, you know, to a degree, you can't really put a price on that. You can't really put a price on a peace of mind, you know, yeah. Hold on, run that back. (laughs) Hold on. You can use your insurance for therapy? Oh, yeah. yeah. For real? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like in the network, they tell you all the different doctors and it covers almost every, it covers like every arena of. Listeners. Um, do better than me and pay attention to your insurance. <laughs> and you know what? Um, like, what? Mr. Cool. Wells, uh, like some people, they'll say, why do I have to, why would I um, pay someone just to talk to somebody? I could talk to so-and-so. I got, you know, I got somebody I could talk to, but everybody that we talk to can't necessarily help us. That's a fact. You know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, is trained enough to deal with you know, um, heavy issues of depression. Matter of fact, a lot of times they end up saying things that, you know, might, you know, just make that worse. So mm-hmm. just because mm-hmm. you have some people that you, you talk to don't mean that they can necessarily assist you in what you're trying to navigate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that mind is priceless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say do your research when you are looking for a therapist. Because, you know, I'm a, so I'll give you an example. I'm a, I'm a therapist, right? One thing that I work with 
or one thing that I consider my niche is irrational thoughts and behaviors. So if I have someone that's, you know, dealing with anger management or someone that's dealing with anxiety or depression, you know, things like that, those would be my ideal people. But if I had someone come in dealing with trauma from a rape, then that wouldn't really be my expertise, my level of expertise, even though I'm a therapist. So just like you can go see, you know, a regular physician because you have something wrong with your skin, it may be better for you to see a dermatologist, you know? So I would, I would definitely say that not all therapists have the same niche. And I think that's what makes us different and unique in the field. So definitely do your research and you can Google um, psychology today. Psychology Today is a website where you can find a therapist in your area and you then you can call them. A lot of them do what you call a free consultation. So you can speak to them about 10, 15 minutes and you can ask them a bevy of questions to see if you're the right fit for them. So that's why we'll ask them like, hey, like, what is your niche? Or do you have experiences working with people with these type of issues? And if they don't, then they should refer you to someone that they know. Because just like I know, uh, let's say, I could probably name 20 therapists, all black. Those other therapists can probably name a, a long list of other people that they can refer you to. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's something that people need to do. Don't be afraid to ask uh, questions. And you know, feel free to say, you know what? I don't think this is the right fit. And do you know someone else that can possibly be you know, a better fit for me? Or someone that's experienced in this area? Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Yeah, That's is. great advice. Mm-hmm. I need to go see a therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't even know. <laughs> well, I can use my insurance for it. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there any last things that you would like to say, as far as you would like to give the other uh, listeners? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you can actually appreciate this coming from an investor, but also a realtor, and then me as a therapist. So. My last word of advice to anybody listening to this podcast. So if you didn't listen to anything, let's just say you just skipped through. (laughs) The one thing I want to leave with you is the idea that growth and comfort cannot coexist. Growth and comfort cannot coexist. Wow. You have to choose one or the other. And a lot of times we do it unconsciously. A lot of times we wake up in the morning and we go straight to that snooze button because it's comfortable, you know, or going with the finances, you know, it's not comfortable saving for a house. It's not comfortable putting your money or your dollars in something that you can't see, you know, and it's not comfortable going to therapy and trying new things or talking to someone about your feelings. Mm-hmm. That's, some, that's something that's not comfortable for a lot of people. But if we desire to grow in different areas of our lives, such as financially or mentally, we're going to have to try to do certain things that we've, we're not used to. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable in order to grow and to reach those desires that we truly want out of life. So if anyone's listening to this, I would say, hey, growth and comfort cannot coexist. So you have to decide which one you're going to sacrifice because you can't have both. And, and I'll even say this, Denzel Washington still takes acting lessons. LeBron James still goes to basketball practice like <laughs> if, if they get comfortable by any means then people like Giannis, kevin durant or michael b jordan will smith like they're gonna come and they're gonna you know take their spot so they, they're constantly grinding man 
So that's 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 also something that I think of to kind of keep me motivated. Let's get your email, your website. Uh, where, where where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at the Players Coach LLC. You can find my website, theplayerscoach.net. Again, theplayerscoach.net. And then you can find my podcast called The Podcast. And it's a, you got to type it out as the acronym T.H.E Podcast. And the acronym stands for Therapy Helps Everyone. And you can find that on SoundCloud and also Spotify. That's great. I would definitely make sure I put all the information in the description so they can easily just click on those links and find you. But it was great having you on the Ultimate Freedom mm-hmm. Podcast. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is only part one because I, I, I know we can definitely get a lot more mm-hmm. um, information out of this guy. Um, definitely. Pleasure having you. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Mr. Philip Wells as much as my wife and I had. Um, also want to apologize for we did have technical difficulties on my end uh, with my mic being low. So please forgive me on that and I'll make sure that won't happen again. Uh, don't forget to check the description below to get all our information and see you next time. You've been listening to the Ultimate Freedom Podcast with Jamare Clarington. You can follow him at I am Jay Clarington on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Download and follow the channel on the Podbean app to leave comments, receive exclusive information on upcoming shows and events. And while you're at it, check out IamJClarington.com for additional content. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good evening. Good evening. And good night.